Well, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember, we watched as Nehemiah explained his vision and his desire for the people, or really for the nation of Israel, for the city of Jerusalem, to his fellow Israelites, how he wanted to rebuild the wall and the gates that had been torn down and destroyed and burned. And you will remember, I'm guessing, that uh, many of the Israelites were excited about that. It was something they were ready to get on board with. But there were a few critics in the group by the name of Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And as a result of hearing what Nehemiah's plans and desires were, they said, you know, uh, it's not something that could be done. They accused them of rebelling against the king. They laughed at them. They scorned them. And so we watched as there was negativity toward the dream and the desire that God had laid upon the heart of Nehemiah. So last week we looked in verse number 20 and we watched Nehemiah's response to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. He said uh, unto them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. And so we watched as Nehemiah just let it be made known. You're not going to discourage us. You're not going to keep us from doing what we know we have been called to do. And so they were prepared for the battle and for the opposition that lay in front of them. And so last week, I tried to remind us that there is a right response to the critics in our lives whenever there are people telling us that it can't be done, when there are people who are telling us that uh, it's going to fail, when people begin to hurl false accusations against us, there has to be a boldness and there has to be a determination that this is what God has led us to do, and by the grace of God, we're going to see this thing through. We cannot afford to let the critics keep us from doing what we know God has called us to do. And it can be challenging sometimes because they are pretty good at discouraging us, aren't they? They are very good at discouraging us at times, and so it is important that we remember the right response to those who would try to shoot down the dreams and the desires that God has placed upon our hearts. So that in mind tonight, I want us to think about something as we enter into this message, and I'm going to try to be very generic in how I approach this because there is a chance that as we go through the radio ministry, this sermon will find its way to the radio one day, and I would hate for somebody to hear that and say, hey, I know who you're talking about, and then us be accused of something terrible, all right? Okay, don't smile. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to try to play it cool, and I'm going to try to play it casual, but some of you will remember exactly what it is I'm about to talk about, and some of you will know exactly who it is I'm about to talk about, and I don't mean anything rude by it. It's just one of those illustrations in life that all of us can identify with, all right? All right, so dramatic pause. Okay. That's for the radio part of it, all right, so that I can edit it out easier if I need to. And you don't understand that, but I do, so anyways. All right, that all in mind, that all said, I just want us to think about this, all right? Uh, some of you know that the building behind us, or Fellowship Hall, the classrooms that we have behind the building, it sits lower than what our auditorium does. Now, usually around here, that's not that big of a problem. It's not too big of an issue. But in the past, if we were to get heavy rains or if we were to get a lot of rain real quick, because of how the building sat, because of its lowness uh, in proximity to the rest of the property, water would gather back in the back area, and if it was high enough, it would seep in through the foundation and through the back doors that we have back there. And there were times in the past that we would have quite a bit of water in the classrooms because of the flooding. And so several years ago, I don't remember how many years ago it would have been, uh, but some of the men who are much smarter than I in relation to that kind of stuff said, you know, we could fix this if we would just do a couple of things 
to, to drain the water from the parking area down to Barn Street. And so they told me what they wanted to do, what they thought would work. And, of course, since I didn't know what they were talking about, I just nodded my head, said it sounds good to me, and if that's what you want to do, let's do it. So on a particular Saturday, however many years ago this was, many of the men who were at the church at that time, they came up on a Saturday morning, and they brought things like equipment that they would use to work. And they brought things like work gloves okay so we had things like shovels and we had things like work gloves and we had tools that i had never seen before that people brought from their work who were going to make this work and so up here by the building by the uh, classrooms we dug out and i say we they dug out a a good size hole and they put kind of a gathering tank for water in there and so when the water would or when the rain would come and, and drain toward that low spot, it would begin to gather in this large tube, whatever you'd like to call it, this gathering device that we have there. And, and from there is a four-inch pipe that was attached, and that four-inch pipe runs the length of the building, and it drains onto Barn Street, and it does an amazing job. And whenever it's not plugged up with debris and garbage, it works flawlessly. It works exactly how it was designed. Now, you understand, digging out the length of the building and everything that was going to be done, it was quite the project for a Saturday morning to get done. But before the project began, here's what happened. Somebody pulled up in their pickup. And they began telling us what needed to be done to do this project correct. Now, when they showed up, they didn't bring any tools. They didn't bring any work gloves, I can assure you. But as they sat in their pickup, they wanted to tell us what needed to be done, but they were not about to do anything themselves. Understand the principle that I'm getting at here? They were more than happy to sit in their pickup and watch other people work, but they were not about to engage in the work themselves, though some in their family would have benefited long-term from the work that was actually being done. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you a very simple question tonight. I don't need any examples. You can just nod your head if you feel like you need to. But I want to ask you, how many of you know people like that, that they have an incredible knack for avoiding work? Have you ever noticed that, that there are some people, they just know how to become invisible when work is getting done? When something is happening and it's kind of one of those all-hands-on-deck kind of moments, it's in that moment that they have someplace they need to be and they have something that they've got going on. And they'd love to stick around and help. However, I'm going to have to dismiss myself. I am convinced, as I am sure some of you are, there are some people who work harder to avoid work than what the work would actually be if they would just get out there and do the work. Now, as we think about that, here is what I think most of us would say in, in, in response to that, that we have a hard time stomaching people like that. The people who are always somehow dodging the work, the people who are somehow always getting out of it, at some point we have a hard time tolerate, tolerating that because it, it just kind of grates on us 
And we think to ourselves things like this, hey, listen, you're just as able and capable as anyone else. Just get out here and do it. It's not everyone else's responsibility to see that this gets done. So with that in mind, I want us to think about this, okay? Here is Nehemiah, and what is he about to begin? What is he about to lead by way of process? He is about to lead the process of rebuilding the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem, correct? That's what he's about to do. And, And we understand, I hope, by way of review and the messages that have been preached, that this was not the dream of Nehemiah. This was something that God laid on the heart of Nehemiah. And so we could adequately say this, we could properly say this, that this is not the work of man that Nehemiah was about to engage in, but this was the work of God that Nehemiah was about to engage in. The hands of man would accomplish this, but this was a work of God. Would we agree? We ought to because it's fairly clear as you read through the account that God blessed and God honored the efforts and it was God who accomplished this through the efforts and the, and the toil of the men and the women at that time. And so this morning or this evening rather, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. I don't know about you, but I've read through Nehemiah many times. I've read through chapter 3 many times. And I have not always given much thought to this chapter. But I slowed down this week and I began giving it more attention. And i got to tell you, Nehemiah chapter 3 is very interesting. It is very fascinating. And so we're going to be here for a few weeks at least in the book of, or in the chapter, I should say, chapter 3 of this book. So in verse number 1 of chapter 3, here's what happens. The building process begins. The building process begins. I like how it starts in verse number 1. It says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, and they builded the sheep gate. It says that Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priest, And they builded the sheep gate. Now what does that mean? It means this, that Eliashib and his brethren, the fellow priests, they took it upon themselves. It became their personal responsibility collectively to rebuild the sheep gate, which which is what some believe to have been the gate that would have been used to bring the offerings into the city and eventually into the temple. Now, this is part of why I find this interesting, how it begins, and I like how it begins, because notice the title that Eliashib carried. It said, he was the high priest. He was the high priest. Now again, you may not see any significance to this. It may not register with you as to, as to why that's important. But think about it. Eliashib was the high priest. He was the highest person in the religious order that they would have had in that day. If anyone had some position, if anyone had some clout, it would have been the high priest. And it was not just the high priest, but it was all of his brethren, the fellow priests, those who would have helped serve, those who would have helped minister, those who would have had some kind of influence in the lives of other people. And what did they do? It says they took it upon them themselves to build the sheep gate. Now here's why I like that. 
the high priest and the other priest were not afraid to get their hands dirty. They were not afraid to put away the priestly robes. They were not afraid to put away some of the priestly garments. They were not afraid to put away some of the priestly responsibilities that they may have had. I know the temple was still in the process of being rebuilt and, and things of that nature. And maybe, well, it had concluded. But, but the point is this, is that here are the high priest and his brethren. And what are they doing? They are recognizing here is a job that needs to be done. Here is something that needs to be addressed. And men, this is what we are going to do. We're going to rebuild the sheep gate. Now, I don't know what the response of all the men were, but it seems to be that the brethren, the fellow priests, said something like this. All right, let's get it done. Maybe they didn't say it exactly like that. But there was some excitement from chapter 2, verse number 18. So I have to assume that there was some kind of excitement on the part of the other priests to follow the leadership of Eliashib, who was following the leadership of Nehemiah. So notice in verse number 2, it says this. And next unto him builded the men of Jericho. Who were the men of Jericho? Well, we don't know. Their names aren't given. No names are listed. We just know that beside Eliashib and the high priest, there was another group of men from Jericho, and they were working on their portion of the wall. They were working on the area that they were responsible for. And then it says, next to them builded Zachar, the son of Imri. So we have Eliashib and his fellow priest. We have the men of Jericho. And then beside them we have Zachar and whoever would have helped and aided him in that portion of the, the rebuilding of the walls. And then in verse number 3 it says, But the fish gate did the sons of Hassaniah build, who also laid the beams thereof and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. So we have the sons of Hassanei listed as being responsible for another portion of the wall, or the gate, rather, the fish gate. And then in verse number 4 it says, And next unto them repaired Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Cuz, or Cuz, and next unto them repaired Meshelam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabil, and next unto them repaired Zadok, the son of Baana. So I'm not going to go through all these names again because it's difficult enough the first time. But here's what we've got. We've got a listing of who worked here and who worked beside them 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 and what they accomplished. So then we come to verse number 5 and it says, And next unto them the Tekoites repaired. The Tekoites, who were they? Well, this may shock you, but they were people from Tekoa. It's like a pampan being from Pampa. Like a moron being from Moor. You get it, right? Glad some of y'all got that. I'm from Moor, if y'all don't know. Okay, that's where I grew up was in Moor. So morons would be from Moor. Anyways, all right. I'll talk slower. All right, you've got the Ticoites. Where are... If y'all don't enjoy it, I will. Anyways, all right. You've got the Tekoites, and where were they from? They were from Tekoa, and they are working on their portion of the wall. But notice what it says next. But they're nobles. But they're nobles. What was a noble in their day? Well, that would have been someone with rank 
or authority or someone possibly with connection to royalty. All right, so the nobles in their day would have been someone with some kind of rank, some kind of authority, possibly even associated or related to royalty. And it says in verse number 4, But their nobles put not their necks to the work of who? Their Lord. Their Lord. So what do you have? You have the work of the Lord. This was not the work of Nehemiah. This was not the work of Eliashib and his fellow priests. This was not the work of anyone else. This was the work of their Lord. This was what God wanted them to accomplish. This is what God wanted them to produce. And so there in the land of Tekoa, you had many men who would have risen up and said, Hey, I'm here to work. I'm ready to do what needs to be done. But then you've got some nobles in the area. And they've got some authority. And they've got some rank. And they've got some association. And what does Scripture say of the nobles? It says very clearly, they put not their necks to the work. You know what that means? It means just what you think it does. They opted out of contributing to the work of their Lord. They didn't mind if other men from the region were involved. They didn't mind if other ladies from the area were involved. They didn't mind if other people were engaged in it. But they themselves were not going to put their necks out there. And they were not going to give themselves to the work of their Lord. Yet, interestingly enough, while they didn't mind other people engaging in it, they would also be the ones who didn't mind benefiting from it. Hey, I like that wall. That's a good-looking wall you're building. Boy, that wall looks strong. Man, those gates, those look firm. I'm telling you, you men are doing a good job, and I'm going to benefit from all that, and my family's going to benefit from that, and my grandchildren, they're going to benefit from all that. Somebody says, hey, would you like to help? And they say, man, I'm sorry. I'm busy. Well, I got something else going on. Man, you know, we were just about to help, but I just remembered we've got something going on back in Tekoa. We got to get back to this. And the scripture makes it fairly clear that no matter how long their part of the process took place, there were nobles who were not going to engage in the work of their Lord, even though they would be ones who benefited from the work that was done and the work that was accomplished. Now, obviously, this is speculation on my part. I can't speak this with authority, but I just kind of wonder how many people from Tekoa knew the nobles who were not willing to put their necks out there and give themselves to the work of the Lord. And I wonder how many people from Tekoa were disgusted by the lack of willingness on the part of the nobles to contribute to what they would be the benefactor of. See, a while ago, we just said, you know, we don't have a lot of use for people like that, right? 
We said they kind of turn our stomach. They kind of bother us. It kind of annoys us when people are too good to do the work. It, it, it frustrates us. It upsets us. We didn't say all of that, but I think I speak for most of us that that's how we feel when people are always avoiding the work. And so I wonder how many people there were from Tekoa and maybe the surrounding areas that looked at the nobles and thought, you know, that's ridiculous. They'll enjoy all the benefits of this, but they're too lazy or they're too selfish to actually engage in the work that needs to be done to accomplish this. And I would suspect, though their names are not recorded, I would suspect they never dreamed that it would be preserved for thousands of years that these nobles were too lazy or too selfish to help out in the work of the Lord. I don't know, but that's what happened. It got preserved, and we get to know there were some nobles who thought they didn't have to work like everyone else. Can you possibly see where maybe this is headed? All right. You say, I don't know or I don't care. Well, let's think about this, okay? How many ministries exist today that would be ministries that are the result of a God-given dream and a God-given desire. The reality is, is we have no idea how many of those types of mis- uh, ministries exist. Right? There are many, many different types of ministries that exist that I would say I believe God is in them. God is the one who inspired that person or gave the direction to that person for that ministry to begin. And it is the Lord who has sustained that ministry, who has blessed that ministry. However you'd like to describe it, there are many of them out there, I believe. But this evening, I want us to think about a ministry that all of us are a part of. Can we guess what that might be? That would be Grace Baptist Church. Okay. Grace Baptist Church is a ministry that all of us who are members of this church, it is a ministry that we are a part of. Now I'm going to say some things in just a moment. I want to make a couple of disclaimers, all right? The first disclaimer I want to make is this, is that I'm not trying to just be complimentary and kind for a few moments before I whack people. All right? That's not my goal. That's not my desire. This is not fake compliments or fake kind words. I mean it. But whenever I do get to something that may be a little bit more painful or maybe a little bit more uncomfortable to deal with, I want you to know I'm not mad. I just want us to think about this. So let me begin with the kind and the positive remarks that nobody will be upset by. I, as the pastor of this church, am constantly reminded of the effort that other people make to make this ministry function as well as it does. I am really consistently mindful of what other people do to make the ministry of this church go as well as it does. On Tuesday mornings, whenever I come in, usually I can still smell some of the cleaning supplies that were used on Monday by the ladies who come to the church and clean on a volunteer basis. I am thankful that we don't have to pay anyone to come up here and do this. I am thankful that that we don't have to to wrangle people into doing this. I am thankful that there are people who come up here and they do this voluntarily week after week after week after week. 
every one of us are the beneficiaries of what they are willing to do on Mondays. I have said this before, I'm going to say it again, but if you think we're not the beneficiaries of it, just let it go a few weeks without it being done, and let's see what this building begins to look like. The bathrooms will stink, the doors will be, or the floors will be filthy. I mean, things will just become kind of a mess relatively quickly. And so I am grateful for those who come up on Mondays, volunteer their time, and make sure the building is clean. And then there are some who come up on Fridays or Saturdays and they do some more tidying up after the Wednesday night service. I am thankful for that because all of us are beneficiaries of it. And it's one less thing that I have to worry about and one less thing I have to mess with. I am thankful that over the years I could probably count on one hand the times that Susie and I have had to clean the church because it just never happens. So I'm thankful. Last week, Brother Frank and Brother Cecil were both sick at the same time. In 17 plus years here, that has never happened. They have never both been gone on the same Sunday. So who got to take care of that? Well, I did. You know what I was reminded of? I'm thankful that both of these men are faithful to count the money each week, to take care of the deposits, to pay the bills, to do what they do, because it is one less thing that I have to deal with. It's one less thing that I have to fool with. I am thankful for their willingness to do their part to make this ministry run smoothly. I'm thankful for that. Whenever I see someone carrying a dirty diaper out of the nursery, you know what I'm thankful for? That I didn't change it. And I'm being honest with you. I know I've said some of this before, and I know that some of this is repetitive, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. I am thankful for you ladies who are willing to sign up for the ministry of the nursery, who are willing to watch someone else's child a couple of times a month sometimes for some of you. I am thankful that you are willing to do that. I'm thankful that you are willing to care for those children like they are your own. I am grateful for that because it does make things go more smoothly for our church. I enjoy seeing those kids get off the bus every Sunday morning, running into the building and heading back to the fellowship hall. I love having to tell them all the time, don't run, don't run, don't run, slow down. I enjoy it. You know why? Because it brings an energy to our church that we would not otherwise have. But as you know, those kids don't get up and run the buses themselves. The kids have to be visited. The bus route has to go out. The bus workers have to be here to do their job. I'm thankful for that. There are so many aspects of this church and the ministry that is done by people who just step up and say, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. I'll take care of this. I'll do that. I'm grateful. But you know what every church has? You know what every, and you said every church, yes. You know what every church has? They have nobles from Tekoa. So I, you lost me on that one. Okay, what did the nobles of Tekoa do? Well, it said in verse number five very clearly that they put not their necks to the work of their Lord. 
they were either too lazy or too selfish to contribute to the work of the Lord that needed to be done. So every church has men and women in it who would be related somehow to these nobles from Tekoa. They're the benefactors of it. They're the ones who will enjoy some of what happens. They may even be supportive of what others are doing. But when it comes time to do the work and to get it done, guess what? They'll be MIA. They'll not be around. They'll have something else going on. They'll be busy doing something else. And it's amazing how obvious it becomes when you just step back and you begin to to kind of scan what is going on. It's amazing how obvious it becomes that they're really not going to do anything and they're not really going to do anything and they'll only do something if you ask them, but they may not do it then. And it's seen in some of the simplest, easiest ways of ministry you can imagine. Now again, remember, I'm not upset at anyone. I'm not beating anyone up. I'm not mad. I'm going to go somewhere with this by way of a challenge, and I just want us to consider it. You say, well, Brother Kyle, what do you mean? I mean this. There are some, even in our church, who their contribution to the ministry of this church is showing up. And that's it. They come Sunday morning, maybe Sunday night, maybe Wednesday night. But past that, if you were to try to nail it down as to what they contribute, even from a behind-the-scenes perspective, if you were to say, okay, now what exactly is it that you contribute to this ministry? What exactly is it that you you add to what is being accomplished here? There are some, and, and, and again, don't take offense to this, but there are some that if you had to be honest, you'd have to say, They don't do much around here for whatever reason. Could they maybe fill a slot for the nursery and make things a little bit easier for the ones who are on the rotation list? Probably could, but they're not going to. Could they possibly be that one who could maybe come up here and do some things around the church to maybe lighten the load of some of the ones who are doing some other things around here? Yeah, they probably could, but they're not going to. Could they be the one who would maybe send that text message or write that letter or stop by and make that visit? Oh, they could do it, but no, they're not going to. It's things as simple as this. We're going to have a fellowship next Sunday night. We're going to be eating after church. And and a lot of people will have a good time. And you know what you'll see always at these fellowships and at these dinners? You'll see some people who bring the food in by the cartloads. And then somebody will walk in bringing their appetite. Thank you. But couldn't you have contributed? 
And then after the fellowship, and, and, and maybe some of you, I don't, I don't know what we're thinking here, but, but just think about this. Then after the fellowship is done or the food is, you know, eaten and their bellies are full, well, well shucks, they, they've got a full day tomorrow. We're going to go ahead and slide on out of here. I understand, you know, we, we all at some point have to slide out of here. But those tables don't put themselves up. And those chairs don't fold themselves and put themselves in the closet. And that floor doesn't just get magically swept and those dishes just magically washed and done. And, 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 and that doesn't just happen. And yet, there are people who assume that it must be that way because apparently it doesn't dawn on them that maybe they ought to stick around and help in the process. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just saying I've found it interesting at times in years past. You know, you're watching the adults do the work and kids are standing around looking at things on their cell phone. Hey, kid, put the phone down and learn to contribute. Now, that's a failure on the parents' part if the parents aren't enforcing it. But it's really, not, listen, it's really not a good thing to be letting kids just be the benefactors and not learning to take out some trash and clean up some stuff and get some things done. I'm just telling you, every church has nobles from Tekoa. They love the ministry. They love what it will produce. They're encouraging of those who are involved in it. They're fantastic with what's being accomplished. But no, I don't do that. Kind of like the guy showing up when everybody else is about to start the project. They know what needs to be done, but they're not about to get after it. I think sometimes it would do us well. And, I, and I, if we're uncomfortable, please forgive me, but, but that's really not my fault, okay? Amen. But I think sometimes it would do us well to ask ourselves this question. What kind of hole will there be if I don't do what I normally do for the work of the Lord at our church and the ministry? Like, if, if I don't show up today and do what I normally do, whether it be a Sunday, a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, whatever day of the week it may be, related to this ministry that you're getting to benefit from, we ought to ask the question sometimes, uh, what kind of hole is there to fill? If I'm not doing my job. You know, for some people it's a pretty noticeable hole. And for other people, there's no hole left to fill and no gap to try to cover. We ought to consider that. Because if everyone else is busy and active about the ministry that they're all a part of, it would only be right, would it not, that everybody would be contributing and pulling their weight and doing their part? so as to make sure it all got done? 
What kind of a hole do I fill or what kind of a hole do I leave if I'm not there? What kind of a gap is present if I'm not in my place? What's not being done if I'm not there doing what I normally do? What am I contributing to this? What am I contributing to this ministry? I'm just saying it's a question that's worthy to be asked. You say, well, Brother Kyle, it seems like you're picking on me. Now, now notice, I've not looked at anybody directly and made eye contact and said, what about you? What about you? I, I've not done that. I'm saying it's something we ought to think about. Amen. See, here's the beauty of it. If you sit and you say, wow, I'm the guy that brings my appetite. You can say, you know what, this coming Sunday, that will not be the case. I'm going to bring something. Even if I have to, to store by it, I'm going to bring something and I'm going to contribute. And, and whenever the cleanup starts, that won't be my cue to get out of here. Acting like I'm the only one who's got kids to put to bed or I'm the only one who's got a busy week. I'm going to help this thing get done. We're going to get it done quick. And then if people stick around, that's fine. But it won't be because I dodged it that people are here later. You might look around the ministry of the church and you say something like this. You know what? That's something I can do. And that's what I'm going to start doing. See, there, there, there's a wonderful opportunity for any noble of Tekoa to look at their lives and say, you know what? I benefit from that, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start contributing more to that. I'll just throw this out here for you and just food for thought. Things are a whole lot more enjoyable when you've got your handprints on it and you know that you're a part of what's been accomplished. It's not with pride or arrogance that you step back and say this, but you're able to step back and say, by the grace of God, I was able to do that. By the grace of God, I was able to be a part of that. By the grace of God, me and my family were able to do that. It feels good to know that you were a contributor rather than just a, a receiver of what was accomplished. And so I'm asking us tonight to just consider this very simple question. When it comes to the ministry of our Lord right here at our church, what is it we're contributing? What is it that we can put our finger on and say, that is what I contribute to this church, and if I don't do it, there is a hole there that does not get filled. And if you can't identify something, I would say this, begin praying if you want to contribute. Begin praying and say, Lord, what can I do? How can I contribute? How can I help? How can I be more involved in this ministry that I get to enjoy and be a part of? You don't want to be that noble. You just don't. There's no glory, there's no recognition, and somebody says, well, that's not what I'm looking for. I understand. I don't believe the people in Nehemiah chapter 3 were looking for recognition, but they received some because it was appropriate. But there's nothing to be achieved by just showing up and supporting others when we have the ability to contribute ourselves. All right? Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us to consider what the Scripture clearly says about these nobles. 
God, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who are careful to not be selfish, who are not lazy. Lord, that we would be willing to contribute to this ministry that we are a part of. Lord, whether we consider ourselves to be a close part of the ministry or maybe somewhat distant, I pray that you'd help us to realize we ought to be doing something. It's not just in this passage, it's in other scriptures that we could go to for proof, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to avoid being those type of people who simply take but don't contribute. I pray that you'd bless the invitation now in Jesus' name. Amen.